Hello and welcome to TripCast 360, the show of lively banter about travel, tourism, and entertainment for the voiceless traveler. I am your co-host, Michael Gordon-Bennett, and I'm joined, as always, by the Barbados Flash, my co-host, Dave Cumberbatch. Yeah, I'm excited about this episode today. This is our premiere episode, just to let everybody know, and this has been a long time in, in in coming. I mean, we've been planning this since January, long before anybody ever heard of COVID. I'm glad that we took the initiative, spreading the news about COVID and what travel means at this time and the, in some cases, inconveniences. In other cases, I'm certain there'll be issues about privacy. You know, I, I think it's important to let our audience know that we initially planned this show to be a show for the uh consuming public. In other words, we were going to focus more on the people actually doing the travel than than those offering the travel to us. And we're, that's still our mission. That's that's still our, our primary goal. But like everything else in this world, we've had to adjust our initial concept uh, to deal with the COVID virus too. So you're going to get a blend of both entertainment and information. And as COVID evolves or goes away or however, however it turns out, we will adjust as well. But I, I think it's very important important that we, you know, tell people about what's going on the latest with COVID. We're typically um, air our shows about one week after uh, we um, produce them. We need to uh, be really informative and try to keep as current as we possibly can. Well, are we ready to jump right in and talk about how airports will change after COVID? Uh, I think so. But before we get to that, uh, a couple of housekeeping notes for those of you listening to us. Um, again, like we, like I mentioned sh- uh, a moment ago, we are a show for uh, the voiceless traveler. So we would like to hear from you directly. If you have any um, travel experiences you feel comfortable sharing with our audience, you can send those via email to contact at tripcast360.com. Um, by all means, uh, uh, share your your experiences. If you have any photos you want to share with us, we'll post them on our website. But also, many of you may get a chance to even be on our podcast to share your travel experiences with our audience. So again, that's contact at tripcast360.com. You should also follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And subscribe to our newsletter, which you can access via our website, tripcast360.com. And by all means, subscribe, tell your friends to listen to us on your favorite podcast podcast medium of choice. And with that being said, we do have an, uh, an exciting show for you today. Uh, Dave just alluded to the, our first topic, which will be telling us, uh, we'll be discussing how airports are changing in the corona world. And a little later on, we're going to tell you how to travel internationally without leaving the comfort of your home. So uh, that's where we're going from here. Um, Dave, I, I know you and I've been researching this quite a bit, and I think the changes that are going to come with the airports are going to be a lot more than just putting on a face mask. There's been a lot in the news about airports using biometric systems. That started, I believe, by Delta Airlines out of Atlanta, out of the Atlanta terminal some time ago. I think it was around 2014. How appropriate is that now in light of COVID? Delta may not have known it at the time, but they appear to be a couple of years ahead of of, uh, of several other destinations when it comes to uh, uh, dealing with the COVID response. I mean, I, I can't imagine in my wildest dreams they ever thought that their biometric uh, system would uh, be so helpful at this time. 
Yeah, but let's let's tell let's explain uh, to the extent that we know uh, what biometric is all about. That whole system that that has been implemented. It's a a, a system that allows you to check in for your flights and um, stow your luggage, whether you check in your luggage or take it with you, uh, without interference from any uh, uh, gate attendant or anything like that via biometric scan. Meaning, I'm assuming it means something along the lines of your facial recognition or your facial scans uh, and your tags will obviously always have the barcodes on it. So that's all scanned. So in other words, you can basically check in for your flight and not have any interaction with another human being. Yeah, I actually saw a CNN news report where how this whole biometric system works. And it literally showed you at check-in, you check in by looking into a camera. The camera measures your nose, your facial structure. (laughs) It measures all of that good stuff. It matches to your passport in terms of your identity and who you are. That's that's the first step to identify you. Then all the way through the process, you actually, uh, when you get to checking in your bags, there's another camera there that you look into. It recognizes you from the from the initial image at, at check-in. When you go to TSA, the same thing happens. And as far as I understand, Delta has been using this out of Atlanta extremely successfully. You know, I, there is something similar uh, that I tried a couple of years back, maybe more than a 10 years ago, five years ago, probably at McCarran, they had something called the clear system and it was a biometric scan, but that system actually cost me $150 a year to use. And so I signed up for it. Um, And at the time I thought it was a really great idea, but uh, I started having problems with the biometric scanners. Every time I went to check in for a flight, I had to leave the clear system and go do it uh, you know, manually with a gate agent. So I'm assuming over the last five or six years since I first used this, they've probably cleaned that up a little bit now. And I guess the technology is probably a lot better. But how about some of the changes? What changes do you expect when we begin to travel again? What changes do you expect at the, not only at the airport checking in, but at, at, uh, but how about as you go through TSA as you go through for your bags, when you get on the aircraft, will flight attendants and and pilots be wearing masks? Will you be expected to wear a mask as well? Uh, It appears that everybody should be wearing a mask. I know a lot of airlines and I don't remember which ones are starting to actually require uh, their passengers to wear a mask. But I think the big talk that I've heard of in the last couple of weeks is thermal scanners where they're actually checking your temperature upon entry into the airport and and things like that. And I know they actually have uh, thermal scanners at Heathrow Airport in London, but they also have them at the San Juan Airport in Puerto Rico. And they've actually been using them for quite a while pre-COVID. So, you know, they're, they're going to be looking for things like your temperature, I guess, for lack of a better word, to see if you, you are running a temperature. And, and I think that's going to be quite interesting. I don't know... Um, how widely used they are now. Um, but I, I suspect that that's coming. Um, you know, COVID's not going away anytime soon and we're, you know, at least a year away from a vaccine. So uh, the, I, I think the bigger issue for me is, okay, you go to the airport, you go through this thermal scanner and you're at the airport. What do you do if they find out your temperature is 100.4 or something like that, which is essentially running a fever? Most airports, like the airport in Dubai, only has one room 
for containment. What do they do? Do they send you back home? Do they hold you at the airport in the lockdown room? How do they handle once they find out that you are running a temperature? You know, what do they do with you? Well, one thing I know for sure, or I can assume, they say never assume. You know what happens when you assume. But I will only assume that they will not let you board that aircraft. So based on the severity or maybe how high your temperature is, I don't know. Or something else we haven't discussed, maybe the airport has doctors there that, that will probably advise you what to do, whether you should go to a hospital, a medical care center, or whether you should go home and just monitor your temperature and your coughing, you know, all the things that they're talking about right now. And that actually introduced a whole host of other issues. If you get detained because your temperature is too high at the airport and then they send you back to your hotel, A, will the hotel take you? Uh, B, if you are, you know, will a hospital take you? How does the how does that get paid for by the uh, consumer? Um, y- you know, how do you get your airfare refund. We all know the airlines charge a small fortune to change a ticket. Um, so how, how does all this play into if they find out your temperature's too high? I can see that being part of your insurance policy where uh, not only will your policy include flight cancellations and what you're culpable for, but um, right now I believe there are policies that deal with health issues. Here's the thing. A lot of people don't purchase travel insurance. And so you have to check your traditional insurance, as you were suggesting, to see if that's covered. Some policies have it, some don't. So for anybody listening to this uh, podcast, you need to check and find out if your particular insurance has provisions in it that cover travel. Because not all, I I ran across this a couple of years ago, um, and not all traditional insurance carriers in the United States, at least, cover something that happens to you while you're on the road. But this is a different time you're living in. (laughs) Yeah, but how... Yeah, but the question becomes, how long is it going to take the insurance industry to catch up? And what it will cost in yeah, terms yeah. of well, the well, insurance. Yeah, you know there's a cost to it, so we, we have no way of getting around that. So that, that'll be interesting to see how they do that. The other thing that I, I saw, and um, some airports are experiencing this, and I think um, it's in Montreal, where you actually have to get an appointment in advance to pass through uh, security at the airport. I, I thought that was cool. Like, you, you know, you pull into the airport, you check in for your flight. Um, maybe you've already checked in before you even got there. Like most people do nowadays, they check in from home 24 hours in advance. But then you set your appointment for when you pass through TSA. So that stops the crowds and the bottleneck, because if there's any place at an airport other than boarding that you're going to run across a lot of people, it's standing on those security lines. But isn't that sort of like what TSA pre-check is now? The only difference is the difference I can see there is is that as opposed to setting an appointment, they literally select you. Randomly, you get selected. Uh, actually, I have TSA pre-check, but that typically goes, I the times that I've flown recently, because I've flown so often, TSA pre-check is actually printed on my boarding pass. It's not yes. random. I actually, it's because you frequently fly a lot and they have all your information. Like if you sign up for a particular airline and they have all your information, that's easy for the TSA to check and you're a frequent flyer. They'll allow you to go through the TSA pre-check. But for the, per- the average person out there who maybe only flies once or twice a year, they're more than likely do not have TSA pre-check, which means they've been standing in long lines waiting and waiting and waiting. So, you know, I, I think the idea that you can check in uh, with an appointment and go through TSA actually uh, works pretty well. But the question is, is how many people do they allow through there at one time, number one? And number two is how do they get the word out to let everybody know that you need an appointment 
to go through security. Um, I, I mean, I don't know how it's done in Montreal, but they've had it a long time. This is not, this is nothing new for Montreal. They've been doing this for a while. How successful has that program been? I mean, are there any examples that we can use or that the, the other airlines can use or the other airports can use that they can say either we like how this is going or maybe we should look at this and make it a better system? I have not seen anybody researching this and I've checked multiple uh uh, Airline-friendly uh, websites; those that tell you what's going on in the industry, industry websites, if you will. And I have not seen anybody come right out and say how successful or unsuccessful it's been. Obviously, it works in Montreal, so uh, I, I think on a on a future podcast we should actually delve into this a little bit more because these are just some of the many changes that are going to come down as a result of COVID. People are going to start adjusting. You know, an, another uh, thing that I saw was actually having you check in for your flight from your from the garage. In the parking lot where you park your car. I yeah. thought that was pretty interesting. Um, you know, so, you know, there's all these changes and, and there's a couple of other things that I picked up on too. When you check your bag in, it's going to go through a disinfecting tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> when you check in, some airports are already uh, experimenting with having you go through a disinfecting tunnel. So, uh, you know, technology is grand, but at the same time, uh, you know, safety obviously is the number one concern. But, you know, how long is it going to take to implement these things? Because this type of stuff leads directly to the consumer uh, returning to the air, the airways in terms of flying. I mean, if they see measures being done and they got a visual that says, OK, I'm being disinfected. People got their mask on the TSA or six feet away from me. Uh, we got biometric scanners. So I don't have to touch anybody. These are all things that are going to add to passenger comfort to allow them to want to fly in the first place. Well, let me ask you a question. What's a disinfecting channel? I mean, it may, <laughs> it might seem crazy, but I saw videos. I forgot which country it was where they were literally, they had folks in hazmat suits literally spraying <laughs> folks. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it seems, it seems crazy and now we laugh about it, but I actually saw that. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't surprise me because I think we're in total experimentation mode. And the way I'm looking at it, the airlines have until essentially the end of this year to come up with some sort of system. The problem is that these systems are not uniform. If you go to one airport, like, you know, Atlanta, we were just talking a few minutes ago about the uh, biometric check-in at the uh, Delta terminals in Atlanta. Well, what about the other carriers that fly out of Delta? Right, but the... I believe the original reason for biometric scanning, um, it, 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 really, it had little to do because with health because COVID wasn't around at that time. I think uh, COVID has put us in a different ballpark. Well, and it has. And I I think that that, that's important. But I I think somewhere along the lines, the international governing body for air travel, along with here in the United States domestically, since we're going to assume that domestic travel is going to rebound faster than international travel, you need to have a set of uniform standards. As always, the issue in the United States is going to be who's going to pay for those uniform standards. Is that going to be dropped on the airlines to pay for it? Is government going to help? I mean, I have no idea uh, what they're going to do to make it uniform. Uniform because as a frequent traveler like you and I are, you know, getting on an airplane is probably the thing that takes us the longest to do. So, do we need a congressional uh, session in order in order to have that implemented? <laughs> Who knows, man? I, I really I, I have no clue. I mean, you know, th- there's a couple other little things uh, that I picked up on too. Um, there are actually sanitizing robots at a couple of airports, one in Hong Kong and one in Pittsburgh. 
where the robot runs around and sanitizes all these things. I have not seen that. I, if anybody <laughs> out there listening to us has a picture of that, I would like to see what those sanitizing <laughs> robots look like. You can send it to contact at tripcast360.com because I, I, I want to see. I mean, at the end of the day, it's another one of those measures that makes the passenger feel comfortable. I have always said, Michael, when it comes to health, I don't look at money. Now, of course, I'm not suggesting that I'm a wealthy person. Oh, come but, on, man. Um, I, I know your bank account's loaded. <laughs> but I don't spare the dollar when it comes to safety. So, uh, and maybe governments should step in and subsidize some of this as well. Well, I, I think on some level, they're going to have to help the airlines out. You know, again, keeping in mind that domestic air travel is a lot different than international air travel and uh, and how we handle things here in the United States. But I, I do think we're going to need some sort of uniform set of expectations when we travel or it's going to drive the traveling public crazy. Before we wrap this section up, there's a couple of draconian measures and when it comes to airport safety via COVID that are really starting, I'm starting to hear a lot about it. I just don't know if this is going to work because of invasion of privacy. And one of them is doing a lung CT. I read that, I believe, in a Condé Nast article and my mouth dropped. How are they going to do that? And the other one is giving people blood tests at the airport. How are you going to do that? Yeah, and I can see where, I mean, you just uh, made the appeal for audience to send, send questions into us. But one of my concerns, one of my big concerns is about the whole privacy issue, the issues surrounding privacy. I'm not sure how that will be handled because as we know very well, a lot of these issues that relates to privacy, they all start with very good intentions. And then all of a sudden, you discover that, they, that, that they're being used in, to lack of a better word, uh, uh, f- for other undesirable um, Nef- nefarious means. <laughs> I, I, I mean, at the end of the day, it's true. I mean, you know, how many times were we sold on the value of a technology and come to find out it's being abused? Um, you know, so that's one of the reasons why I think on, on some level we're going to have to uh, come up with the, uh, some sort of uniform system that applies across the entire airline industry, not just here in the United States. So that'll be interesting to to see where this evolves over time. But again, they've got to do something about making passengers feel comfortable to travel. We've heard all the discussions about taking out the middle seat, all the discussions about leaving it empty. But you know what? These airlines are flying right now. And in a lot of cases, that middle seat is not empty. Yeah. And um, as you made the appeal earlier, I'm appealing or we are appealing to our guests to any queries, any questions that you may have to um, forward those to us and we'll, we'll certainly try to get those answers for you. Absolutely. And for those of you who didn't hear, our email address again is contact at tripcast360.com. Um, you know, Dave and I can debate this ad nauseum and um, we can have more discussion later. We will certainly add have more discussion later as we do future podcasts and as things evolve. But Right now, I want to turn our attention to our first guest, our only guest for today's show. And our guest is known by many in the industry as the digital instigator for her seamless ability to stir up ideas and engagements through digital platforms and social media. She is an award-winning visionary and managing partner of Socially Ahead, a marketing company whose clients include Procter & Gamble, Disney, iTunes, Essence, and Hilton. She is Lynn Cooper. Before we get into the reason why you're here today, uh, Lynn, why don't you tell everybody about that wonderful time when you and I met for the first time? Because that was a trip to be remembered. Oh, my. Yes. Um, I got to meet you when we went to the Bahamas, um, where we got stranded on ship. 
<laughs> and then had to take a seaplane. We got sent on the ship overnight and then had to take a seaplane in the following day, which we almost thought we were going to crash again. <laughs> was, were you in Freeport? No. Where, where, where did we go? Bimini. We, Bimini. We were going to Bimini. Okay, because I took a seaplane similar trip from Freeport to Nassau. Yeah, but what Lynn didn't tell you was this hap we left out of Florida. Uh, and we were supposed to take the Bimini Express over to, which is a boat, which is about a two-hour boat ride from Miami over to Bimini. It just so happened that Florida was also in the middle of an extremely bad cold snap. When I got, when my plane landed in Miami at 7 a.m., it was 30 degrees outside. It was bitterly cold. It was windy. You know, you don't expect that from Miami. So we get on the boat. It's Lynn, myself, and I think there was three or four others. We get on this boat, and it's a nighttime trip over there. Well, I left at four, but it was dark by the time we got there. And mm -hmm. we, we tried to dock for hours. I mean, this went on all night long. The seas were so rough, we couldn't uh, back the uh, boat in. And so this goes on from like, what, 11 o'clock at night until 7, 8 o'clock the following morning. It was so bad that I, I know I went up. I think you went up on deck with me, Lynn, just to see what the problem was because the water oh, is shallow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the water is shallow in Bimini. That, so was a they, perfect, that was a perfect opportunity to put some music on and have a Bahama Mama. Uh, because, <laughs> <laughs> well, be, because we didn't have cabins on this particular ship, um, we actually slept in the dining room. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, we slept in the dining room on the, uh, some of them had chairs where I was sitting upright. I think I was the only one that actually stayed up the entire night. And uh, yeah. So, yeah, it was bad. And uh, so they actually, about three o'clock the following afternoon, took us all the way back to Miami. We never did get off on Bimini. We went out to eat that night and they put us on a seaplane the next morning. The temperature miraculously went from 30 to 80 overnight, back to normal. Mm -hmm. And wow. it was it was funny because then the Dargon uh, uh, seaplane almost couldn't land because of the winds too. You know, I still have a cell phone video because um, I was so fascinated that we were landing and the water was so pretty, but I literally have a shot that just has it just saying, pull up, pull up, emergency. And I was like, great, we're going <laughs> to <Yeah>. die. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was, um, uh, I, I think that was arguably the most memorable trip I've ever had other than my Alaskan cruise. What happened in Alaska? Uh, about four or five years ago, we went to Alaska. And if you leave out of Seattle, you take the intercoastal waterway up towards Juneau and Ketchikan and all those places. But on the way back, you're actually out in the open Pacific. And the cruise ship that we took, which was Princess, it was the last cruise ship of the year. It was in October. It's the last cruise ship of the year before they end sailing because of the weather. About two o'clock in the morning, we hit some storm. And when I say that boat was listing side to side and bouncing up and down and, you know, throwing my six foot four inch frame up off the bed, I'm, I'm not joking. Um, and it was 2 a.m. You can hear all the uh, dishes from the kitchen falling on the floor. You can hear people out oh, in the wow. hallway getting sick. I mean, it was brutal. And um, uh, about seven or eight o'clock, the storm let up. I don't like, need that experience. Like nothing ever happened. I don't need that experience. Guys. <laughs> Dave's never been on a cruise, by the way, Lynn. <laughs> But, I don't think any of us are going on cruises anytime soon. No, no, no. Well, we actually, you know what? I'm gonna we're gonna have that discussion on another episode, um, and I'm gonna bring you back for that because, yeah, uh, um, yeah, cruising is going to be difficult. I, I am not trying to put them down, but at the same time, uh, you know, the the damage is done. Right. Yeah. Anyway, um, before uh, 
the second question I want to ask you, because I know you travel a lot. I saw a picture you posted on Facebook of your, I believe it was one of your last trips before everything got shut down. You were in a pool someplace. Uh, yeah, I actually was, uh, uh, went to visit Haven Riviera uh, in Cancun, like literally 10 days before everything shut down. Um, <laughs> so I, I was blessed for that. It was the most beautiful resort, brand new resort. Um, I can't say enough about it. Definitely all-inclusive, four-star, top of the line. Um, but I'm like literally like cherishing those memories there because I've, I'm, I feel temporarily grounded. But, you know, like thanks to the internet, like I've literally been touring all these destinations that I wanted to go to, like without having to, you know, have lines of fellow tourists or obnoxious people next to me. I'm actually kind of enjoying it, my introverted self. How about you? <laughs> introverted self? Okay, we're going to have that discussion <laughs> off camera too. Um <laughs> <laughs> You actually just kind of led into the segment that we actually have you on the show for, and that's to talk about virtual travel. First of all, for our listeners, tell us what virtual travel is. So virtual tour, it's just basically a virtual tour. So you literally go online, log into a particular destination, and you have a walking tour guide for some of them, or it's just a camera going through and showing you different museums or um, cities. You can even go to mountains, um, even to zoos. I took my kids actually also to an aquarium a few weeks ago. Um, online in, in um, Boston. So a lot of these places that, you know, tourism isn't going to die. People still want to go places. And so why not do it from the comfort of your own couch? Interesting. I'll tell you something, Lynn. I mean, virtual tours might be the way to go. I actually looked at a survey from a company called Magna, Magma Global. And the it was a simple question. Assuming all the stay-at-home orders are lifted by June the 15th, will people, and people are free to travel again, how soon will you take a trip to the Caribbean? And amazingly, amazingly, I'm only going to give you the numbers that really stand out. Amazingly, 28.7%, which is the highest number, says they're waiting on a vaccine. When the same question is asked about cruise, the largest number, 60.6% says never. As it relates to, to, to driving locally, taking one of these, the local trip, 54.0% says right away. Hmm. Um, and I'll just quote one more for you. It's a, it's a very intensive, uh, extensive uh, survey. Same question asked, how soon will you go to large conferences or festivals? A huge percentage, 41, this is the majority, says waiting on a vaccine. So this, this falls right into line in terms of what you and Michael were just talking about, virtual travel. And, um, and my question for you is when will you feel comfortable traveling again? I think I'll feel comfortable traveling once I can, I look at numbers. Data is a huge thing for me. So um, every day, I don't know if you know this, but you can go on weather.com yeah. and actually while you're checking your weather, you can also check how many COVID cases there are. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that I will feel comfortable traveling to small, small like distances, uh, maybe going to visit family and friends, um, something contained maybe in the summer, late July, maybe August. But I don't see myself um, getting back on the, the, the go until 2021. And I guess this, this survey pretty much mirrors that, reflects that. Um, not in terms of the timeline, but in terms of how folks are uncomfortable traveling at this time. You know? I think it's because um, we don't know. I think that the thing with this disease is it's, it's something that's unprecedented. It hasn't happened before. Um, it's the way it's being transmitted has changed a zillion times. They don't know. Um, it's gone from, you know, 
you could be young and out till now it's like, no, you can't do that. Or, you know, we have a pre-existing condition. I have a friend right now who is like a vegan, like 4% body fat, you know, in prime health. And he contracted it um, and didn't have any of the symptoms that we all talk about. So I think that the uncertainty is what is, is, is making everyone fearful at this point. While there are other people that I see walking around, you know, with no masks, you know, and laughing at other people when they see them with masks on. So I really think it's your own personal preference, but I'm, I, I uh, lean to be safe than sorry. All right. Well, taking, taking that into consideration then, can you share your overall thoughts of how virtual reality could help the travel and tourism industry in the aftermath of COVID, of course? Oh, sure. I mean, to be honest with you, um, you know, my, my nickname, Michael, you know, is the digital instigator. So for the last 10 years, I've literally been trying to get, you know, businesses, including, including tourism boards, to get online when it comes to VR. Um, I think virtual reality, outside of the, the you know, you can do the, the virtual tours, but really, if you really want to get fully engaged, um, doing some virtual reality, like in the, with the headset, or maybe doing something like Google Earth, you want people to be there to experience it. And so I think that what would be smart right now is for tourism boards everywhere across the country or across the world, really, like I keep getting mailers that you want me to go on press trips. I'm not going right now. I need you guys to be a little bit more creative when it comes to bringing me to your destination and making me feel that it's safe there. And I haven't seen that too much. I think that, you know, right now, if you can visually show me what it looks like versus sending me a press release to tell me that it's okay, I'm much more ample to believe you, you know what? I actually agree with that. I too am getting a lot of those requests and I, I think it's, um, uh, you know, pardon this, uh, pardon me calling it an epidemic of, of the inability to learn how to promote your destination in the online space, but that's what it kind of feels like to me. And, you know, I've got uh, probably a dozen invitations sitting here on my desk right now to places all over the world. And I, I'm glad to come. But at the same time, I'm a visual person, and I think most travelers are visual. We want to see. Uh, we want to hear from our friends. We want to hear from people who have been out there and done that, and, and mm -hmm. especially now. And if for some reason, it's just like they missed the boat on this. Why can't you go online and show me virtually, if you will, what your destination is doing, what it looks like, how many people are there? I don't understand why they seem to have this disconnect, going back to your point. It's, it's a learning curve. To be honest with you, um, when I, I can honestly tell you when I, people are so used to doing traditional public relations, you know, they have not really fully embraced the opportunities that they have when it comes to digital. And for me, it, why I push digital so hard, you can actually measure it. You know, it's, it's, it's different than, you know, hoping that you put an ad out in a paper or, you know, an advertisement or, you know, ha hoping that someone comes on a press trip and actually writes about it. Actually, like doing the work beforehand and actually seeing who you're touching and who are the real people that are actually going to respond and engage. It's smart business. It, 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 so this is a great time for people of all businesses. I don't care if it's just tourism, but really, you really need to rethink your business model, especially in this time. It can happen again. So how is your business going to move forward in this new age? That's what you really need to consider at this point. You know, your points are actually well taken to me. It's like they're still holding on to baby boomer marketing. You know, Gen X and the millennials are not playing baby boomer marketing games. How they see the world, mm. how they approach the world uh, is entirely different than baby boomers. And the industry just hasn't caught up. And I think part of it is that they're afraid to take a chance. 
you know, they, they go with the tried and true method. And don't get me wrong. I like getting the press releases and I like getting these trips. I've written hundreds of articles on destinations all over the world. And I honestly have wondered how many of my articles were even read. Mm. Uh, be, you know, it was one thing like when I when I was producing shows for the uh, Travel Channel back in the 90s, you know, I would get the you know ratings and stuff so I can kind of get a feel for how many people were watching our content. But in the digital space, yeah, it's easy to do that. But I, I still question how many people are really reading versus would they rather see a video um, or, or, a, or in this case, virtual travel as, as we're talking about now. I think people would prefer the visual 10 times over. Oh, no, I was going to say video always, as far as content is, is concerned, always, always outranks any other form of content. I mean, like you said, we're visual people. And not only that, we're emotional. So, you know, Dave, how you had mentioned earlier, you know, about people wanting to get back and get out there, either to go to a conference or travel. We're social people. We like to be around other, other human beings for the most part. Um, but, you know, right now, like you said, Mike, if we can – can actually physically, if I see you walking down the streets of Las Vegas and you can show me that it's safe and, you know, or, or you guys are practicing some sort of, you know, practices within a hotel that make me feel safe, like, you know, how many times are the towels being changed? Are, are the maids wearing, you know, uh, protective gear? When, you know, I'm concerned about these things. So, like I said, you can tell me all day or, you know, until I'm blue in the face of what's happening, but I need you to show me. Totally on board with that. Um, you know, living here in Vegas, I have obviously the Vegas Strip is shut down. It's like a ghost town here. Yet at the same time, I can see the flights from that are flying in the McCarran Airport, and there's a lot of people doing air travel. And I'm wondering where are they going because the Strip is closed. And you know, I, I see. I, I go for a walk every morning, and I see no. You know, my four mile walk. I see dozens of planes, but the airlines haven't done anything, in my opinion, to make me feel safe. Dave saw this uh, the other day, where United Airlines, for example, put something on that they're not going to guarantee that their flights aren't full or that the middle seat is open. It's like, excuse me. <laughs> no. <laughs> I still, ha I, I still sort of have some issues with that because they're saying that you should distance six feet. Now, from the window to the aisle seat, <laughs> it's less than six feet. So I don't know what removing that middle seat will, will do. In, in my opinion, it doesn't do much other than passenger comfort. I think it's a comforting thing. But again, I think that's part of the lack of understanding about how this virus is transmitted. You know, Lynn, you'd mentioned earlier your friend who did everything right and he still got sick. Um, you know, I've pretty much the only time I've gone out of my house is either to go pick up food or go to the grocery store. And I always have a mask on every time I walk out of my house. Now, I realize that not every mask is made the same. But at this stage of the game, it's a comfort for those around me that I have one on my face. And yet uh, I, I just see this. I don't, I don't want to call it an apathy to do the right thing by some of the people in our industry. But I see a certain apathy. I mean, it, it's like money seems to trump health and safety. Lynn, let me, let me go back to something that you mentioned earlier in reference to virtual reality. How practical do you see it where folks would purchase those glasses or goggles in order to take advantage of, of virtual reality? They are super cheap right now. They, they used to be hundreds of dollars. They're, they're probably like $20, $30. Now you can get a VR headset. Um, a lot of people have them, especially, you know, in the gaming community. So if I was in the tourism industry right now, like that's what I'd be thinking about. I'm like, okay, what is my target demographic that I can go after right now that already has the technology for one, when it comes to the VR headset piece, 
Other than that, you can still focus just on doing video for, for everyone that doesn't have the VR set, and then give them a call to action at the end of that video. You want to see more? You want to be more in-depth? Go get a headset or work out something with a, with a VR company that, you know, if a tourism board and a VR company came together and formed a partnership, come on, it's a match made in heaven right now. Are you, are you including 360-degree uh, video as part of, I mean, I, I know it's not virtual reality, but uh, what, what do you think about that? 360 degree. Oh, oh yeah, 360. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, the bigger point is make me feel there. Make me feel in touch with what's going on there. Um, and give me some emotional, emotional tug to it. You know, I, I really think that this is a great time for any business, especially in the tourism business, to really reach out to past consumers that have already been there. This, I'd be getting testimonials from everyone that has already been to, my, to, to the island or country that I was at, you know, to want to promote and have them push out the good word and then follow that back up with all the safety precautions that are happening right now. And even, even for sake, even though we're talking about virtual reality, I mean, video itself, like you mentioned, video itself is crucial because you can even show video as it comes to someone coming to the hotel, um, uh, touch, touch list. I think that's the word they're calling it, the term they're using, touch list check-in. Um, by mm -hmm. uh, suitcases being sanitized. You know, you come in with your suitcase, you can just go straight up to your room. That all, all of that can be displayed in video. And I, and I think that is really significant. I agree. I, I have a question to ask you, Lynn. How did you come upon virtual travel? What, what kind of brought you to it and got you to explore it and then share it with your kids? Um, really, to be honest with you, I could say that you know, I'm a product of educators. Uh, my mother and my aunt are both teachers for 40 years. Um, and so once this all came to a head and shut down, um, I could definitely say between the, their emails <laughs> and all the other friends that I had on Facebook or, or, you know, friends that I had at Google, people were sharing a lot of this information. That's, and I found these in like parent groups. Um, but, you know, I like to take my kids to see everything I possibly can. I think that's really I'd rather have them out in the living classroom in the world than sometimes behind a desk in the classroom. I think you learn a lot more. Um, and so like I, I have this dream one day of literally just piling them all up in, in an RV and going cross country and stopping at, you know, different historic sites as they learn, you know, these things, I want them to actually see it. I think that, in, that enforces and reinforces the, the education for them. So do you see, so do you see virtual reality as, as, part of an overall marketing strategy for destinations and cities and so on as it relates to travel and tourism because before COVID I don't I don't believe or I haven't seen it anyone really taking virtual reality from a marketing perspective um, serious so so do you see this as a short term because of COVID or do you see this being implemented post COVID as part of the overall marketing strategy this should definitely be a part of marketing strategy going forward, period. It should just definitely be one slice of it. Um, countries that really have embraced this would be like Japan. Japan has done an amazing job. Um, Ireland has done an amazing job. You know, even uh, Germany. I did a virtual press tour the other day with, with Germany. Um, I think that this is, this is a new norm. Um, it's not going away. And not only that, you've got to think about your consumers of today. These are digital natives. This is all they know. 
And so if you're going to, if you're going to, you know, be a destination or, or, or any business going forward, you have to embrace them and they're, they're, they're going to have money eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But you know what? Some of what you're what you're suggesting is not a pocketbook breaker. Uh, h- how long does it take to shoot a video? <laughs> I mean, literally, everybody's got a, a you know a phone that they can shoot the video and turn it into a virtual uh, um, uh, application quickly. It, it's not that difficult to do. There's just some intransigence among some places that just aren't you know on board. That, and I think they need to find a quality provider. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing is I noticed, like, you know, when I've gone into to businesses, it hasn't been explained to them. Like, everyone tries to keep talking to them like it's over their head when, when really, like, you're right. We all are walking around with a device that literally has combined a calculator, a calendar, a video, a phone. Like, if there's a zillion things within a small little box that can do amazing things. It's, it's no longer a barrier to getting things done. So like you said, no, you might not have to go out and hire, you know, a full on but out production company if you're just starting, but uh, you know what? Leverage the students possibly that you have or, or leverage a small business provider that's there and start small and ramp your way up before you go and spend, you know, the, the, the $50,000 budgets to get, you know, the entire destination done, but start small and see what your response is. Um, I think the biggest thing is when they work, they're cut well, and they're cut by storytellers, too. And that's the biggest point. It has to be done from a storytelling perspective and not just like, hey, look at this building. This happened in X, Y, and Z. Like, it, it has to be done in a way that will really connect with people and, and engage them. So. All, right. All right, Lynn, I have a question for you. Where have you gone on your virtual travels in the last two months? Ooh, so um, I, I did went, I went to uh, see the Cherry Blossom live feed in Japan. Nice. That was really, really cool. Um, I hiked the Great Wall of China. Yeah, wow. And, <laughs> and my favorite thing to do that, I'm, that is on my 2021 list, I have to see the Northern Lights. Um, but they had, a, um, they had some video, streaming video of the Northern Lights that was amazing. But still, I have to see it in person. So for right now, that'll quell me. But <laughs> it's been fun. Well, well, my question for you is, I guess you got the Great Wall of China without the exercise? Oh, yeah. My thighs are burning. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm going to tell you while I was doing it. I'm going to tell you. As regards to the virtual travel, um, what are some of you, I mean, are you, are you going to individual websites and finding virtual travel? Or are you using an app or is kind of a you know, all the places you can, how, how are you finding your virtual travel destinations? It's literally been kind of hodgepodge. Um, I've always been a big fan of Google earth. So um, I would take, you know, the kids to just, like see like world heritage sites. Like I'm one of those parents that when I do an activity, we go all out. So for example, um, I was teaching the kids about India and I had them do sand where they were making replicas of the Taj Mahal. And then I was like, okay, let's go on Google earth and actually go see it. So let's have Indian food today. I'm one of those parents. Um, but really, I think there's, there's different couple apps out there, but like literally you can go to any destination. Like you could type in Chile and um, they have an app called Chile 360 that will take you to see all the natural wonders of Chile. Like it's just beautiful. So like you can literally can Google virtual tours and find I'm doing tons right. of activities. I'm doing it right now, Chili 360. It's funny you mentioned Chili 360. In preparation for this, I actually watched Chili 360 last night. Oh, uh, nice. What'd you think? I got some beautiful views of the Atacama Desert. 
Uh, maybe, you know, for those people who don't know, that mountain range that it formed in Chile is the second highest mountain range in the world. And the change in scenery from, you know, the sandy hilltop mountains to the Pacific Ocean was great. And then, of course, it took us into Santiago. And I went. one of them took me to a restaurant, which name I forgot. And it, I mean, it was fantastic. I mean, you know, as somebody who's been traveling since I was, you know, two years old, uh, you know, the ability to just see some of these places that were always on my, I hate to say bucket list, but were always on my bucket list, I at least now get to uh, enjoy virtually until such time as uh, uh, we can travel again. But the quality is what got my attention. It was excellent. I loved it. Yeah. I mean, they, they even have ones that are like, I think Visit Florida has some. Um, I think I think even the Bahamas, um, like, you'd be surprised at how many cities actually or destinations actually do have some sort of video component. Um, we just, I just think they weren't ready for what happened. I don't think anyone was really prepared for this. And so now it's, it's time. It's a great time that we're all still it's a great time to play catch up. But if you've got those assets right now, you've got a captive audience. One final question I have for you is where are you going on vacation when you actually do get to board a plane or a train or an automobile again? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, like I said, my, I had two, two things that I wanted to accomplish this year. Um, I wanted to go to the Northern Lights and I wanted to go to Bali. Um, I don't know if I'm up for that flight to Bali at this point. <laughs> um, very, very long in a container. Um, Cause that's like, that's what we were talking about earlier. Like, you know, you're talking about the seats in the plane, that's not, you're literally in a aluminum can flying <laughs> for how, how long it's, you're, you're captive. There's no open windows. Um, so it, it would probably be a short flight. So it's going to be somewhere two two hours or less that I fly at this point, but I'm still up in the air. I thought you would have, I thought you would have mentioned the Caribbean. That's right, Dave. I'm going to the Caribbean as soon as they invite me. <laughs> uh, okay. That, that came from the Barbados flash. Lynn, I appreciate the, the conversation. Um, as I introduced you uh, before this segment started, you are a friend of the show, uh, in addition to being my uh, little sister. Um, <laughs> we're, we, we're not literally brother and sister, but that's how we refer to each other. And uh, I, you will definitely be back on numerous future episodes. And uh, anytime you have something to say or anything that you need to speak of in this space, you by all means are free to let us know. We'll get you on. Then, Thank you so much for being Dave. And then what I what I also want to say to you is that you've shared a wealth of information, and that's extremely valuable to us as well as our listeners as well. So I want to thank you as well. Thank you both. You guys are amazing. I love that you guys are putting the show together. You guys are veterans in the industry, and I'm so glad that your voice is going to be heard around the world with your insight. Well, I, I, we both appreciate that. Uh, now I need to go have my virtual rum and coke. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, that'll wrap up this segment. Uh, we want to thank our guest, Lynn Cooper, for participating with our uh, premiere episode of TripCast 360. Now, typically when we close our show, we like to have a little bit of fun. You know, at the end of the day, travel and tourism is meant to be fun. It's not meant to be laborious. It's not meant to be boring. When you go on vacation, you're looking to either relax or have a lot of fun or some combination thereof. So in the coming weeks, you'll see segments such as Drink of the Week. Yeah, we're going to be looking for a mixologist to join us uh, 
Dave is actually efforting that as we speak to find a mixologist to maybe share the, their favorite summer beverages, or maybe it's a beverage by destination, or maybe it's a beverage by season. But uh, stay tuned for that as we look to uh, uh, bring somebody on. You know, Dave's from Barbados, so you know he, he likes his rum. I'm from the Caribbean. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody in the Caribbean drinks their rum. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, so that'll be one segment to look forward to. The uh, another segment that we are probably going to start airing in a couple of weeks is travel deals. Now, the deals may or may not be uh, unique to us. We will let you know when those deals come, but they will be vetted. We're not going to put a travel deal on our platform without vetting them. Are they really, are they true deals? Um, You know, so that'll be a little bit of fun. And as we alluded to earlier in this podcast, you know, we want to hear from um, some of you. Uh, not just our athletes and actors and entertainers that we're going to have on the program and our industry insiders, but we want to hear from you. You guys probably have a lot of wonderful, great, funny stories to tell about, you know, a vacation that you went on. So we, that'll probably be one of the segments on our show as well. Um, So, you know, we're looking forward to uh, interacting, having an interactive show. Yeah. And, um, and as your favorite destinations open up again, we will keep you updated. We will inform you as to what they're doing. And we're really looking forward to having some interesting and exciting and fun episodes on a weekly basis. Yep. And so, uh, so, go ahead and have your virtual drink right now. And again, we want to thank you for listening to our initial podcast. And uh, we promise that we will keep you up to date as best as possible, but we also are going to entertain. Um, In this COVID world, I understand the seriousness of what we're dealing with, but at the end of the day, we still want to entertain you. So you'll hear from a lot of great guests in the future, not just industry insiders. You heard me mention athletes and actors and entertainers and musicians and people who actually travel for a living. We'll all be sharing their stories along with you. So um, we would like you to listen and subscribe to our podcast on whatever your favorite podcast platform is. We are on iTunes. We're on Google. We're on all the uh, places where you would typically listen to a podcast. So please listen to us, subscribe to us and invite your friends. Um, For those again, who uh, we mentioned at the top of the show, if you have any great travel experiences or great travel stories to share, you can always email those to us at contact at tripcast360.com. And again, keep in mind, you might be somebody who appears on our show. So we're looking forward to having you uh, uh, join us. Also, if you have a show idea, something we haven't covered that's related to uh, travel and tourism, please, by all means, use that same email address, contact at tripcast360.com. Our goal is to be more of a... um, a facilitator of everything tangential to travel. We're even going to be covering fashion and merchandise. Uh, we're going to be covering restaurants. We're going to be covering shopping, golfing, sports, you name it. Anything that fits in the travel and tourism space, we got it for you right here at TripCast 360. And also don't forget to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. So please, um, and by all means, uh, uh, go to our website, tripcast360.com. If you click on the episode link at the top of the page, you will see a synopsis of this episode with links to anything that uh, is germane to what happened in this episode. So uh, again, we want to uh, thank you for listening. And for Dave, this is Michael. And until next time, which will be about a week from today, uh, join us again on tripcast360.com. Say goodbye, Dave. Goodbye. See you next week. <laughs>